Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and the text for the sermon today is taken from Philippians chapter 4, the verses 2 and 3. And there the Apostle Paul writes these words, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, few things are more destructive to a church than disharmony. When members of the church are at odds with each other, it affects the spiritual stability of the church, making it impossible for the church to function optimally. It also hampers the witness of the church. For who's going to take the message of the church seriously when people within the church are at odds with each other? It further weakens the ability of the church to stand firm against attacks. The church is like a choir. When every member of the choir sings in harmony, the result is beautiful. But when they don't, the result is terrible. Well, sadly, the church at Philippi was not as united as it should have been. And Paul hinted at this already in chapter 2, the verses 1 through 4. And there Paul exhorts the Philippians to be like-minded, implying that they weren't. He further exhorts them to have the same love, to be of one accord, of one mind, to let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, to let each esteem others better than himself, to look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, again, implying that they weren't doing this. And later in chapter 2, verse 14, he urged them to do all things without complaining and disputing, implying that at times they did. And the net effect of all of this was tension leading to disunity. But perhaps the most serious threat to their unity was a disagreement between two women in the congregation, Yodius and Syntyche. And Paul mentions this in our text in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and it's to these verses that we turn our attention with God's help. My theme is Paul appeals for unity, and we'll consider, first of all, the urgency he invokes, secondly, the helpers he enlists, and thirdly, the motive he presents. Paul, in our text, exhorts, or we could say even pleads with, two women in the congregation, Yodius and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, who were these two women? Well, it turns out we don't know very much about them. Some say these women were part of the group of women that met by the riverside when Paul first came to Philippi. And that's because Paul, in verse 3, says that they labored with him in the gospel. Well, if that's the case, then they, together with Lydia and the Philippian jailer and the demon-possessed girl, were the founding members of this congregation. But again, we cannot say for sure. 
Nor do we know why these two women had a falling out, or what the issue was. But the fact that Paul singles out these two women in a letter that was meant to be read publicly suggests that the conflict between them was well known and very serious. So serious, in fact, that it threatened the unity of the church. Now, it's not difficult to understand why. Most likely, as often happens when there is a conflict in the church, each of these women had supporters within the congregation. Because these two women were at odds with each other, so were their supporters. A party spirit prevailed in the congregation, pitting members of one side against members on the opposite side. Now, as an apostle of Jesus Christ and a fellow believer, and one who deeply cared for this congregation, Paul was understandably very concerned about this development. He was concerned about the unity of the church at Philippi. And so he writes in our text to these two women to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now you notice that Paul doesn't tell them how they are to achieve this. He leaves that up to them. He just tells them to do it. Now what does it mean to be of the same mind? Well, Simply put, it means to agree. Now it's true, of course, that not all Christians agree on everything, even in the same congregation. And nor is that necessary. There will always be things that sincere, well-meaning Christians disagree about. Now, to be sure, we cannot have disagreements on essential matters, such as the basic truths of the gospel. On these things, we must be in absolute and total and unreserved agreement. But we do and can have disagreements on non-essential matters, on what theologians call adiaphora, or things indifferent Paul, in fact, teaches that in Romans 14, verses 19 through 21. Paul writes, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Paul here was addressing the matter of whether it was permissible for Christians to eat food that had previously been offered to an idol. And some of the congregation of Corinth said, yes, they had no problem with that. But others said, no, you can't do that. Because to partake of that food and drink would be to participate in idolatry. Now, as it turns out, Paul agrees with those who say, you can eat of it. But he goes on to say that just because you have liberty to do something doesn't mean you should exercise that liberty. If, for example... A brother in the Lord has conscientious objections to eating such food. We who are strong should not eat it. We should suspend our liberty for the sake of the weaker brother, and in this way preserve the unity of the church. The point is, there can be matters about which Christians can honestly disagree. So when Paul tells Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, He's not telling them that they had to agree on everything. Well, what was he saying? The verb that Paul uses here describes an attitude or a state of mind. In this context, it has the sense of to settle one's differences, 
to be reconciled, to live in harmony, to be united. It's also in the present tense, and that means it describes an ongoing action. So Paul here is imploring these two women to continually be of the same mind, to continually to be unified, to be at peace, to be in harmony. Now that's a common theme throughout the Scriptures. Think of Psalm 133. The psalmist writes, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. Or you can think of Romans 12, verse 16, where Paul writes, Be of the same mind toward one another. Or 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, where the same apostle says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Or we can think of the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, when he writes, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Well, that same theme runs through our text. Paul implores Yodius and Syntyche to be of the same mind. You notice he doesn't command them to do so. He implores them. And the Greek word here is parakaleo, from which we get the English word paraclete, which literally means to call or summon alongside of. John, in his gospel, uses that very word to describe the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of believers and pleads their case before God. In this context, it has the sense of to urge or to beseech, to entreat, to plead with, or to beg. You notice, too, that Paul repeats the verb, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche. Why does he do that? Well, first of all, he does it to show that he's impartial. This is a very, very important especially when dealing with people who are in conflict with each other. The best thing you can do in such a situation as that is to remain impartial and refuse at all costs to take sides. Because as soon as you take sides, you lose trust. And Paul knew that, and so he implored both of them separately and equally. But he repeats the verb also for the sake of emphasis. It's as though Paul is saying, I really want you to resolve your differences. I need to make, I need to make, you need to make this your first priority. This is an urgent matter. I implore you and I implore again. Now, why was Paul so insistent? Why did he plead with such urgency? Well, because, as I've already mentioned, Paul understood the devastating effects of disharmony in the church of Christ. He understood that when members of the church are at odds with each other, it affects the entire church. Particularly, it affects the spiritual stability of the church, and it hampers the witness of the church, and it weakens the ability of the church to stand firm against attacks. In short, disharmony in the church, if left unchecked, will destroy the church from within. And that's still true today. Disharmony is destructive to the church, and as such, it must be avoided at all costs. And where there is disharmony, it must be resolved. We cannot let disagreements fester. We cannot just sweep them under the rug and hope they will go away. No, they must be dealt with. 
In my experience as a pastor, issues that are not dealt with remain issues, sometimes for decades. Disharmony is like an open wound. It needs to be treated and bandaged or it will never heal. It will only fester and become infected. And so let us pay heed to the words of our text. Let us do everything we can to be of the same mind in the Lord. For Paul, therefore, the restoration of harmony between Yodius and Syntyche was a matter of great urgency. It was so urgent, in fact, that he enlisted the help of others in bringing it about. And that brings us to our second point. Yes, Paul was so concerned about the rift that had developed between these two women, Yodius and Syntyche, that he called for help in resolving it. And that stands to reason, doesn't it? I mean, if your house is on fire and you're not able to put it out by yourself, what do you do? You call your friends and your neighbors and the fire department to help you to put it out. And Paul does the same here. He says in verse 3, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul addresses these words to his true companion. Now the word companion here can also be translated as yoke fellow, as it is in the King James Version. A yoke is a piece of wood that sits on the shoulders of an animal that is then attached to a cart or a plow, and it serves to make pulling easier. So a yoke fellow is somebody who is attached to the yoke with you so that you can both pull together. Now in this context, it refers to a fellow laborer in the gospel with the Apostle Paul. And so the New King James translates this word as companion. Now, who exactly was this person? Some say Paul here is referring to a member of the congregation at Philippi, possibly Epaphroditus, who you may remember was a leader in this church. Others say he was referring to the entire congregation, which Paul here addresses as a single individual. But still others say he was referring to his wife, but there's no evidence in the scripture that Paul had a wife. Still others say he's referring to a man by the name of Sisygos, which is the Greek word here. By adding the word true, Paul is drawing attention to the meaning of this man's name. It's as though he's saying, and I urge you also, Sisygos, as your name, yoke fellow, companion suggests, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Do what you can to bring about reconciliation between these two women. But that's not all. For you notice that after mentioning that these women had labored with him in the gospel, Paul goes on to mention others who had labored with him as well. He mentions, for example, a man by the name of Clement. Now that name occurs only here in the New Testament. And almost nothing is known about this man other than what is indicated here. However, two early church fathers, Origen and Eusebius, identify him as the later bishop of Rome. But we cannot be certain that this was the same man. Following this, Paul mentions the rest of my fellow workers. Now who Paul had in mind here, we don't know. He doesn't tell us. 
All he says is that their names were written in the book of life. The Bible frequently refers to the book of life. The first time is in Exodus 32, verse 32. Although Moses doesn't actually use the phrase book of life in that context, he refers to it when he asks God for the sake of the people of Israel to blot his name out of his book. This phrase actually appears in Revelation 3, verse 5, where Jesus is quoted as saying, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And it appears again in Revelation 20, verse 15. There we read that anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, what is this book of life? Well, obviously, it's not a real book. Rather, it's a metaphor for the full number of God's elect. From all eternity, God has decreed whom he will save out of the whole human race. And their names, figuratively speaking, are written in the so-called book of life. Now, the Philippians would have been familiar with such a book. It was the custom in those days for government officials to record the names of the citizens of each city. And that's the case here as well. God records the names of all his elect in the book of life. Now, the question may well be raised, how did Paul know that the names of the people he just mentioned, people like Yodius and Syntyche and Clement and the others, who labored with him in the gospel, how did he know that their names were written in this book? Is it not true that only God knows whose names are in this book? Doesn't Paul himself say in 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 that the Lord, and the implication is the Lord only, knows those who are his? Well, if that's the case, how then can Paul say with such certainty that the names of these people are written in this book. Had God revealed this to him directly? Well, probably not. It's more likely that Paul simply came to this conclusion based on the fruits in their lives. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. How can I tell if somebody is a true Christian? How can I tell if I am a true Christian? Well, you do that by looking at the fruits. And that's what Paul did as well. He saw the fruit of the gospel in the lives of these people. And therefore, on the basis of the judgment of charity, he concluded that their names were written in the book of life. They were saved, and their lives proved it. Now, whether Paul here was enlisting the help of all of these people in bringing about reconciliation between Yodius and Syntyche, or whether he's just mentioning them because he happened to mention that Yodius and Syntyche had labored with him in the gospel. We don't know. Both interpretations are possible. Whatever the case, the point is, Paul regarded the rupture between Yodius and Syntyche to be so serious that he enlisted the help of others to help resolve it. Now, sometimes that's necessary, isn't it? Sometimes it can happen that two people who are at odds with each other require the assistance of a neutral third party to resolve it. And that's exactly what's happening here. Paul here is enlisting the help of others to help Yodius and Syntyche to resolve their differences. 
And there's an important message here for us as well. More often than not, when we know that there is a conflict within the church, we try to ignore it. We try not to get involved. Or we report it to the office bearers, the elders, and the pastor of the church and let them take care of it. Now, to be sure, sometimes it's best for people not to get involved and to allow the elders of the church to take care of it, especially when the conflict is complicated and has the potential to explode. But even then, we should not ignore it. We should encourage as much as possible the two parties to work towards reconciliation. We should even offer our services if that would be helpful. At the very least, we should pray. But under no circumstances should we do nothing. Why not? Because, as we've seen, far too much is at stake. Disharmony in the church has the potential to destroy the church from within. And that means, my friends, if you care about your church, if you care about the church's witness to the world, if you care about the honor of God, ultimately, you will do whatever you can to try to avoid disharmony and where it exists to try to restore harmony. Now that's our calling as Christians. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. What's a peacemaker? A peacemaker is exactly what the name suggests. It's someone who makes peace between two warring parties. Paul called on others in the church at Philippi to help make peace, and the Lord calls on us Today, to do the same. Now, I know this is not easy. This requires a lot of tact, courage, wisdom, and patience. But it must be done. The survival of the church depends on it. And so Paul enlisted the help of others in bringing about reconciliation between Yodius and Syntyche. But he also provided a powerful motive. And that brings us to our third and final point. Paul implored Yodius and Syntyche to be of the same mind. But you'll notice he adds this phrase, in the Lord. Now this is one of Paul's favorite phrases. He uses it all the time in his letters. Also here. By itself, this phrase expresses the truth that believers are united to Christ by faith. They are, spiritually speaking, in the Lord. When a sinner comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes part of his body. He becomes united to him as a husband is united to his wife, and as a wife is united to her husband. He becomes, as it were, flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Paul appeals to their union with Christ as the ground for their reconciliation. What he's saying is this. He's saying, be of one mind, seek reconciliation, strive to restore harmony inasmuch as you are united to Christ, inasmuch as you are members of his body. To be a member of Christ's body is to adopt his mind or his attitude, we could say. Paul says as much in Chapter 2, verses 5 and following. He writes there, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Paul here sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ as our model to follow. He is what we should all be striving to be like, also in how we relate to one another. Christ put himself last and others first. And Paul is saying, we need to do the same. He became the least, and we need to do the same. He set aside his own well-being, his own preferences, in order to promote the well-being of others, and so should we. Oh, my friend, do you have this mind? Do you have the mind of Christ? Are you living and acting like Christ also in how you relate to other members of the church? You're not living and acting like Christ when you do and say things unnecessarily that create unrest and upheaval and division in the church. You're not living and acting like Christ when you know that there are people in the church you are at odds with each with and you do nothing to bring about reconciliation. You're not living and acting like Christ when you put yourself before others, when you put others down, when you make them look bad, when you criticize them, when you complain about them and gossip about them and slander them and backbite them. My friend, these are the works of the devil. These are not the works of Christ. And so if you're guilty of any of these things, You need to repent before the Lord. That means doing an about-face on sin. It means stop going in one direction and start going in the opposite direction. It means striving as much as in you lies to promote peace and love and harmony in the body rather than discord and division. It means seeking to reconcile with those whom you have offended. It means apologizing asking for forgiveness, and resolving by God's grace never to commit the same sin again. Now that's a tall order, but Christ is able to help you. He can give you the grace you need to do his will, and he will, if you look to him in faith. Paul implores Yodius and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. We've seen that he does so with great urgency, enlisting the help of others, and providing a powerful motive. May the Lord our God give us ears to hear and grace to do what he commands also in this portion of his word. Let us strive at all costs to maintain the unity and the harmony of the church. And when it is threatened or undone, to do everything in our power to restore it. Then we shall truly be a faithful church and faithful Christians To the glory of the Lord our God. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X, 2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, 
or if you would like more information about our program, including how you can contact us and how you can listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. You can send us a check in any amount to our mailing address at 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can go right to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.